Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of the Frictionless Supply Chain Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in America. And I'm a contributing author to uh, the Supply Chain Management Review, a contributing writer. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome my guest, Gabrielle Griffin, and we know her as Gabby. I'm director at BPE Global. We're going to be talking about the brand new import regulations going into effect for forced labor products coming from China. Uh, if you are an importer of Chinese goods, you should be alarmed. Uh, let's explore why. Hi, so welcome, Gabby. How are you doing Hi, today? Hi, Rosemary. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be here. And what a great podcast topic and just podcast in general. So thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about BPE Global and what the company does and how you help your clients. Yeah, sure. So we are a woman-owned global trade compliance consulting firm. So we really help our clients operationalize global export and import regulations and just teach them how to be self-sufficient and managing and supporting their overall global trade compliance program. Okay, that's terrific. So in case anybody's listening to this and wants to reach out to you, we'll get your contact information at the end. Yeah, sure. That'd be great. So let's, let's start off by explaining who the Uyghurs are and what we know about the detention camps in Zhejiang province, for, which is in far western China. Um, so I understand, my understanding is that the Uyghurs are a minority people, mostly Muslim, um, kind of on the far, far western border of China and almost consider themselves as Europeans. Um, they're less Chinese than they are um, something else. Um, but the Chinese, of course, uh, the, the Uyghur region is part of the Chinese territory. Um, I also understand that there's an attempt to what the Chinese would call re-education um, to teach them to think more Chinese. Uh, and as a result of that, they've put many people in these uh, sort of detention centers, which are... Uh, essentially prisons um, and are they are forced to work and sort of for slave wages or no wages. Um, and China wants the world to stay out of their business. Um, but of course in the US we don't we don't tolerate uh, prison labor. Um, we don't um, tolerate human uh, human issues like this. Um, so um, the U.S. government has uh, put into regulation a restriction on importing goods from that particular region or anything to do with Uyghurs. Okay, so with that kind of background and setup, um, you want to talk a little bit about the new Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act? What's it called? UFLPA? Yeah, I've heard all, all sorts of acronyms and pronunciations, but um, I really, I, I love that you opened with um, defining first who the Uyghurs are and the horrific um, reasons for which this act is going into effect, because I think that as uh, U.S. importers and as uh, uh, just in our industry as a whole, whether you're um, the importer themselves or just any involvement along the supply chain, we see these regulations coming and it's just more heartburn, right? But 
Um, I think it's always really important to understand, have a deep understanding of the why. And in this case, um, you know, and there's been a lot of changes in the past few years in administrations with, uh, we've been hit over the head, right, with, <laughs> with all these importing changes. And this is one that I think is very important for, for our listeners to, to have that understanding background of just what is happening in that region and why uh, why the U.S. is stepping in. And, and you know, the, the U.S. has always, um, since 1930, the Tariff Act, right, had um, been against forced labor. And this is, uh, so specifically to this UFLPA, um, I was on a call with CBP earlier this week. I attended a call on, on the forthcoming regulations, and they just referred to it as a new tool against forced labor. So it is... Um, on its face, so just to kind of set the stage of what it is for those who aren't familiar, uh, President Biden signed, I believe it was back in December 2021, December 23rd, um, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. So UFLPA is what I will call it. And like I said, CBP has got all sorts of um, different pronunciations, but it addresses this uh, minority group in this in the Xinjiang region of China. Um, so the scope of the act is extremely broad. Um, we are expecting very specific sector specific um, guidance in on June 21st on how uh, the US plans to enforce this. Um, but the scope of the act in a nutshell says that goods cannot be imported from the, this Jouar, this region, um, either wholly or just in part. So that's that's the act in a nutshell. And I'm sure we'll we'll unpack it a little more as we keep talking. Yeah, it's my understanding that it's um, different because in the past we, of course, didn't allow forced labor or prison labor goods to come into the U.S. But in this case, um, it is uh, we we start off with the presumption that everything coming from the region is forced labor, mm -hmm. and then you mm -hmm. have to prove that it's not if right. you want to want to bring something in. So right. different kind of enforcement and approach. Absolutely. And, you know, those are kind of the two big uh, buzzwords or not buzzwords, but the two big, big tenets of, of this act is um, the presumption and just having to show the clear and concise evidence. Um, and CBP has been talking about, you know, just they, they will roll out they, in the call earlier this week. They will they're planning on issuing guidance prior um, to June 21st, they said they're working on it, but uh, we won't see that specific guidance on what constitutes the clear evidence um, to counter the rebuttal presumption until the 21st. And it's just such a different kind of approach. I mean, and we're used to innocent until proven guilty, right? But this right. is a complete reverse. It's totally. guilty yeah. until you prove your innocence. Well, and the other thing that is my understanding that it's not just coming from Zhejiang province, but also this these um, um, prisoners get bussed all over China. So they may be working on an electronics line in, in mm -hmm. um, Dongguan or, you know, in Pudong area, or they're, they're working in all these different places. And uh, if there is prison labor as a contribution to some product you're importing, that too is restricted, right? right. So how, how on earth are we going to be able to figure this out? I mean, I'm, I'm 
bamboozled. I mean, how would a supply chain person figure out if there's there are Uyghurs working on the production line in their electronics factory? Right. So it's a great question and one that I've been working through <laughs> with a lot of my clients, as you can imagine, these past few months. So we really recommend, um, you know, see from the CDP side, from from the act and the the team that is working on creating this enforcement, what we have been told is to exercise due diligence, to know our supply chains. Um, I think CBP's main point on the call earlier this week was just have open lines of communication with throughout your supply chain so that if your shipment is questioned, you are able to go back to your partners in China to ideally be able to obtain the necessary evidence, whatever requested evidence. So right now there is um, kind of this uh, this call from customs to do our due diligence and to keep these open lines of communication. So I would call that a healthy um, import compliance program that should be go without saying. I, I act or no act, always have uh, your due diligence in place, always have your open lines of communication. But looking specifically at this act and how to take action prior to the 21st without having this sound um, sectoral specific guidance, we really recommend industry to use a framework. And this framework is one we recommend kind of across all areas of a trade compliance program, but specific to the OFLPA, look at this framework from the lens of the people, the processes, and the systems. And what I mean by that, um, and you and I can kind of brainstorm on this together and with our, with our heads combined, but I did think of some, some points earlier. So what I mean by that is if you think about the people as it pertains to this act, um, you're going to have external people and internal people. So what does that mean? External people would be um, your partners. It could be um, your suppliers. It could be your brokers, just anyone, who are the people in, like inside your company? So your partners. Um, this act is not only about not importing product from the region, but there's also OFAC restrictions. There are named individuals whom cannot be involved in your business. So we're talking about screening, which is not usually an import-specific task, right? We're talking about um, the your suppliers. Know your suppliers. Know if you are a tier one importer, meaning if you are and I don't mean tier one in CTPAT language, I mean tier one, like you are directly importing wool blankets from China and you know that the sheep and, you know, it's the cotton or the wool is spun from the sheep's wool on site into the blanket. That's like, you know, your whole, um, your supplier is also the manufacturer, right? Um, so know your suppliers, understand, you know, kind of group them by risk. Um, you might have suppliers you've worked with for years, you might have suppliers who you know are assembling product made from a variety of different subcomponents from all over the world, from all over China. So think about your people, your suppliers, your, from an external standpoint, tier them by risk. So know who is a direct manufacturer um, who's supplying your goods, know who's gonna be a little riskier um, and just have that kind of teed up that knowledge and understanding of your people um, prior to the implementation and internally, when we think about people, it's about understanding your in, internal company um, and how they would source, like talk to your procurement people. Are you aware in industry of how vendors and suppliers get chosen? So 
have those internal discussions. Um, if we need to obtain financial records of payments, uh, finance might have to be briefed. So it might warrant training internally to your people. It might warrant um, like a tiger task force with your uh, brokers, your internal sourcing, your suppliers. It just every business is, so, is structured so differently. But really, again, the framework of the people think internal and external and then start thinking about it by risk. You know, how much transparency do you have down that line? I mean, what other in your industry, what would you think about people if you're thinking about it in that framework? Yeah, and what's so striking about this, though, is that trade compliance has been, I think, sort of a standalone uh, group or or function within companies for such a long time. But there's no question that this time around with these regulations, uh, uh, trade compliance must must work with supply chain people. And I think supply chain folks are just not that aware of what's going on. The other the other complicating issue is during, uh, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic through now, it's difficult to get to China to check on your suppliers. Right. So that positive, you know, um, kind of investigation to try to determine if there's any Uyghur labor in mm -hmm. any of your products is very difficult. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, my fear is that, you know, we're going to see these shipments coming from China and they're all going to get stopped. And yeah. uh, we just know until we can, until you can prove as an importer that mm -hmm. there is no Uyghur, Uyghur labor involved in, in that particular product, they're going to get stuck in a warehouse somewhere. You won't be able to import it. That is very scary, especially in a production environment when you're, when you're depending on parts coming uh, into the U.S. Right. So, uh, oh, man, it's this is a big <laughs> one. This is a big one for supply chain people that need yeah. to be uh, be heads up and and um, a little scared. I think about what's going on and how this is going to play yeah. out over the next. Uh, the next little while. Absolutely. And back to that framework, you know, that's when um, looking at your, from a process perspective, it's important to understand what is currently in place within your supply chain, right? There might be, as supply chain people, you might not be privy or intimately familiar with all of the terms and conditions of your um, partner agreements, right? So we had a, a client who um, they, even prior to this, had uh, terms and conditions in place and, and it referenced that that sorry terms and conditions or an annual statement signed by the supplier that amongst other things included language of you know we don't use forced labor now did they go into their own supply chain before signing that likely not but who knows <laughs> but however going back to yeah. cbp due diligence and mitigating factors this would be an example of know what kinds of processes are already embedded within your organization that you might be able to leverage if your shipment is detained, that you can go to customs and say, hey, listen, we have this supplier statement that's signed annually, and we have a really strong partnership with, uh, again, back to the risk of knowing your external and your internal, the external risks and who would be riskier. You might have suppliers that you have good, really strong relationships with and be able to show customs we've worked with them for years, we are confident in, in where this comes from and show the due diligence of whatever kinds of processes you might have. It could have been pre-pandemic, you've been there on site. Um, one of the questions I get a lot um, about on this topic from some of my clients is whether one of the processes that can be relied upon are social audits. Um, and 
it's interesting because as a trade compliance person um, in a past life, I worked in retail and social audit QA kind of lit, they physically sat next to me in the office, but it was just a world apart. Um, so I'm not intimately familiar with social audit. However, CBP did, um, it was brought up as a question in that call I was on and CBP did comment on how likely not, <laughs> like meaning what? they would not be able to rely on it. I'm not familiar with that term social audit. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so there are um, a lot of, I see this more in the retail space. Um, they will have um, third-party companies that ex that will go, that, that will not even necessarily go, that are already in China, that will visit your locations. And it's about, it'll address labor or it will address a variety of other concerns surrounding um, the social conditions. So factories, child labor, that kind of stuff. And this is um, this is not a new concept to large companies that would be importing um, more like a retail goods kind of thing. So from an environmental lens. So, it, but it's not, I'm sure it's regulatory. And again, I'm in my trade compliance lane, so I can't speak to the social compliance lane. However, in my past, it's never towed into the trade compliance world, right? And yeah, now that's what I was that was that's what I was saying is that now we we have to integrate the trade compliance people with supply chain. No question about that. Yeah. So and that's like they know your processes. Yeah. So trade compliance taking the lead in terms of understanding how this new regulation is going to be applied. But the supply chain people are the ones that are going to have to execute this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, there's no question in my mind that the supply chain people have got a huge burden coming their way. Um, the, other, the other thing that you mentioned I think is fairly important is because it's difficult to get to China right now and there's mm -hmm. still lockdowns and restrictions and all sorts of things. Um, you know, another alternative way to solve this problem is to hire someone in China, mm -hmm. hire an organization inside of China to go and do this audit or ask the questions or have a look around. Um, right. I also, you know, just strikes me having having worked with um, with Chinese manufacturers for 30 years. Um, you know, I they don't always tell the truth. <laughs> So right. they may sign a document or say there's no forced labor or claim they don't know. So they may have um, simply decided to hire some uh, additional help from the mm -hmm. outside world or through some sort of agency in China. And uh, what you come to find out is that it's uh, these are Uyghurs that are being bussed in to help them. And they, they may not have um, a direct contact with that. With them, but if they, uh, if a manufacturer in China hires um, a business like that or um, some additional help that uh, may apply labor in their business, they're responsible. It's my understanding they're uh, responsible for that and uh, may have imports stopped if anybody figures it out. The, the other thing that I, um, that I understand is that Customs has sent letters out to a lot of companies that are already uh, importing from this, this region. There's a lot of um, cotton coming from Zhejiang mm -hmm. province, um, polysilicon, which is a, a, a application that's used for um, solar panels, my understanding. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, there are um, some electronics, um, uh, like uh, TV remote controls are coming from that region. Some kind of unexpected, unexpected things 
that are now going to be imported and will be stopped until you prove there's no Uyghur labor involved. Right. I'm I'm just um I'm just feeling like there is very little understanding in global supply chains and and the people running global supply chains about how this is going to affect them. And it's going to be a surprise when you get, you know, all your shipments stopped coming in from China for some reason, right? And right. you prove up. So there, as with everything, is no doubt going to be an adjustment period, especially because we're not seeing guidance yet. I mean, we've still got two weeks until the, the regulation um, rolls out. CBP did specifically say that, you know, the sector specific guidance will be with the rollout of the regulation, they're going to try to issue some guidance before. So it's reading the tea leaves, right? It's uh, all we can do as an importing community back to CDP's recommendation is the due diligence. So right now, um, as I've been talking to my clients, what we can do is just wrangle, get everybody on the same page. And it is going to be, as you say, an adjustment period. We're likely, we'll see shipments detained um, for, for, for questioning and due diligence um, on the import and export side is always just looking at the back to those, you know, know your people, have those lines of communication with your people, know, look at your processes, like look at the terms and conditions, what exists, what has been done. Is your company part of a larger importer program like CTPAT that you could leverage and say, you know, we've been on site that like be able to, if your shipment is detained, be able to have these in your back pocket and say, hey, like, again, we don't know what they're going to ask for. So I'm reading tea yeah. leaves, but our recommendation is just know your business. And to some people that might be totally obvious, but um, you'd be surprised. A lot of uh, folks in the supply chain, just uh, like all of us are in our in our lanes and we aren't really aware of the larger contractual terms uh, um, or other yeah. like social audits occurring. I think that that's good advice overall. I, I mm -hmm. also tell our clients also you you need to to be very aware of what's happening with your mm -hmm. suppliers. And I, yeah. I think there that's a that's a area for improvement across supply chain is mm -hmm. to be more involved and know exactly who your suppliers are. Visit those suppliers. You know, so many companies will just, you know, pick a potential supplier off Alibaba or something and right assume that everything is going to be fine, but mm -hmm. that is not the way the world works. <laughs> These yeah. days you have to be there and have a look at your suppliers and be very knowledge about, knowledgeable about who they are and what kind of business they're doing or hire someone to audit them on your behalf. But mm -hmm. I think there's very little, um, there just isn't enough attention to, um, to companies knowing their suppliers and knowing their supply chain. This is also related to why so many companies got sort of blindsided during the pandemic is because they were not aware of uh, who their suppliers were, their tier two, tier three suppliers that were mm -hmm. feeding into their supply chains. And as a result, you know, they really got blindsided and couldn't get goods yeah. moving anywhere around the world. So <clears throat> couple that with the current situation in the Ukraine. Um, so, you know, the the lack of being able to get neon gas, for example, that is mm -hmm. essential for making semiconductors um, have had, you know, this horrendous effect on um, all kinds of manufacturing around the world. So if you can't get 
neon gas. You can't manufacture semiconductors in China that go right. into the consumer products and on and on and on. Right. So understanding the complexity of your global supply chain is also very important. 100%. Okay. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. So Gabby, any closing thoughts? Yeah. Anything I the last one I wanted to bring up was, um, again, the, this concept of a framework that people can can do. This is achievable for, for anyone at any stage in the supply chain to do. And we talked about the people and we talked about the process and look at what it, what is existing. But the last is the systems, right? And I think that a lot of companies have, um, well, either companies have or they may not be aware, there are tools out there that the importers can use if they're not using them already our favorite ACE, right? Um, some of our um, folks who reached out to us have never, they're not aware of an ACE account. They're not aware of where their imports are coming from, of the suppliers. So Gabby, can you talk about what ACE is? In case sure, yeah. It's, um, it's CBP system of record. It's it, admissibility, right? So all imports over a certain value are filed by your customs broker into the system. And ACE is the system of record um, in which imports and exports are filed, or, or it's not the system in which they're filed. It's the system which we as importers can use to see and have visibility on our products, which are imported. Um, the amount of information, the tool is a work in progress, a 20-year work in progress, 20 plus years, but it is extremely helpful. And I and internally at our organization, we always are like, it, it can be a headache, but it is hugely helpful to having visibility on your imports. It shows you um, manufacturing information. You can get in there, run reports, target um, specifically, you know, shipments from China. There's manufacturer identifi identification codes where you can see cities. I mean, it just, it gives you, it's a tool where you can have visibility. And again, a lot of people listening to this will be like, yeah, I know that tool. It's, the bane of my existence, or I'm in it every single day, but we're finding a lot of, um, of industry also wasn't aware of it and it's free and it's out there and it's your information. So go find it if you don't know it. Um, if you need the visibility on, you know, if, am I even importing from China, which hopefully by now you would know, but um, you'd be surprised again. Um, another is your internal systems. Again, um, we don't know if uh, maybe there's systemically within your global trade management system or your just your company's ERP, what kind of information is housed? You might be able to um, run reports of suppliers from specific areas in the world that can give you just, again, greater visibility. So don't forget to look at your internal systems um, for the screening and the OFAC piece. You know, you might need to be either doing a manual screening or leveraging your, um, again, more of an export centric task, but making sure you're not doing business with any of the OFAC designated parties that are um, have been named as part of this act. So there's a lot of tools out there, both um, internal and external, again, free, that's, um, well, the external ones are free, that you can leverage to gain visibility into your supply chain that you may not have otherwise known about. Uh, so um, I think there we mentioned a lot of an acronyms and uh, different systems and things that supply chain people may not know about uh, and may need help with. So in that regard, if someone needs assistance and wants to reach out to you, how do they contact you? Yeah, I'm. We can shoot me an email. I'm sure it'll be part of this podcast or just Google BPE Global, and you'll find us in the contact us section and we're happy to help because 
like I said, it's a, it's a lot to take on. And, um, and I think the key kind of takeaways are, you know, again, think about your framework, people, process, systems. Um, think about other industry um, sector groups have been, I've found with my clients, very helpful to ally yourself together. Um, just know you're not alone and just expect it to not run smoothly. To your point, we're not expecting a seamless transition on the 21st, but there are a lot of mitigating um, things we can do, I think, in the lead up. So please reach out with questions. Can you give us your email address? Yes, it's G as in Gabrielle, my first name, last name Griffith, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. So griffith at bpeglobal.com. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you very much for being yeah. with us today. Um, you can listen to more podcasts on the Frictionless Supply Chain posted on Supply Chain Management Review's landing page. You can also listen on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org. And visit our website, www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Thank you very much and have a great day.